This is Canada Reads American Style, featuring two friends who love Canada Reads and Canadian literature. Welcome our host Rebecca from Michigan and Tara from Ontario. Hello everyone, we have a special episode of Reader Repartee today because I am interviewing Rebecca. Ta-da! Ta-da! <laughs> and we have not discussed the answer, so I don't know what she's going to give me, so it's all new to me. Cool. Oh, I didn't, I thought we had talked about a little bit of it, but one of them, you kind of helped me with an answer, but we'll get oh, to that yes, in a bit. Oh, yes, but I don't know yeah. what you're going to say. Yeah. And I'm forgetful, so it's <laughs> like all new to me. <laughs> Okay, let's jump in. First question, Rebecca. How did you become a reader? So I became a reader like probably most of us who follow podcasts and uh, about reading and books and authors. My mom was a reader, so we had a lot of books in the house, and I was always kind of digging into her books because probably around the age of 11, I started reading adult books, and I started out with she had like Victoria Holt and Phyllis Whitney and authors like that that wrote about Scotland and and uh, yeah, I can't remember what time period it would have been. I, I can't even remember for sure. But anyway, I grew up kind of loving those books. But I have to say too that my name, my mother named me after she read the book Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. She named me Rebecca because of the book. And I've always really loved that my name is attached to a book as such an amazing book. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And growing up, everybody always called me Becky. And then when I got my first real job with a resume and et cetera, you know, you put your real name on there. So then everyone called me Rebecca. And so to this day, some people still call me Becky, but I just, I just love my first name mostly because of that book. I just think it's so beautiful. Yeah. Oh, that is very cool. That is one. I love that book. I reread it maybe a couple of years ago. So that's a very cool story. Yeah. And I read it so long ago. I really, maybe I'll add that to my list to reread since I'm not much of a rereader, but I think I could do that. And the other thing I just want to mention about reading, you know, one of the things school teachers and school media specialists and librarians always say when parents would come in and say, my kid's not a reader. How can I get my kid to be a reader? You know, one of the things we always say is you have to model that behavior So if you are reading at home, it's more likely you will raise readers. So people out there who are, who might be listening, and obviously if you're a reader, you probably already had that experience, but push that message out there because it's so important. And the thing I want to mention too, is probably one of my early memories was reading Dick and Jane for the first time in school, that old series, you know, see Dick run and that whole thing, because I literally still to this day, remember that feeling of like, it was like magic where I was unlocking a, you know, the key, I had a key to a kingdom or something when I could really literally look at the words and understand them and read them in a sentence. I still have that memory because I felt like, you know, the people around me were reading, but I couldn't do that. So it was just such a powerful thing. And in fact, I bought a copy. There was some anniversary copy of Dick and Jane and I bought it because I thought it's just such a powerful memory for me as a kid. So, yeah. Very cool. Okay, question two. What book do you wish you could read again for the first time? So this one was really easy, actually, for me. Um, In 1989, John Irving published A Prayer for Owen Meany. Mm. And I had gone to 
I was going to Hungary with my maternal grandmother, and I was the first and only person in the family, the big extended family, who ever went to Hungary with her. She used to go every so often, but she invited me to go in 89, and I decided to take a book with me, and that just happened to be published, and I like John Irving, so I took it with me. And I remember finishing the book, sitting um, on the edge of Lake Bolaton with my feet in the water. And I just remember closing the book and loving that book so much. And in fact, if somebody says, oh, what's your favorite book? It, it, I'm, I almost always say A Prayer for One Meanie. Now, I tried a couple of years ago to, to reread it. And then I thought, I started and then I went, you know what? What if it's not as amazing yeah. as that memory that I have? of that whole experience with my grandmother and being in Hungary and just loving that story so much. So I'm not sure that I will reread it, but I wish I, if I did, I wish I could have all that emotion and feeling again. That would be just the best. I often, you hear that the, they say that the sense of smell is so often linked with different places and times in your life. I find that with the same with when you read a really good book. I often link it to whatever, like if it's a special occasion or a vacation or just a moment in time, Yeah, I find is linked to that book. So that's, that's cool. Yeah. So I want to have that. I'd like to have those feelings again. Yeah. 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 What is your favorite opening sentence? <laughs> okay. When we decided to do reader repartee, I thought I have to ask this question because nobody, I, I have no one to share this answer with. Now I get to share it with the whole world. So I'm so excited. So my favorite opening sentence is, my father was a son of a bitch from Eastern Europe. <laughs> and it was written, It's the book is The Education of Robert Nifkin by Daniel Pinkwater. And I think it was published in 2005. And it was a young adult novel. And I was a, a young adult librarian at the time. And I read that book. And when I opened it, because my family, my mom's side of the family, they were all from Eastern Europe and Hungary. I just thought, oh my God, I laughed out loud. Plus, my dad is kind of a pill. So I thought, <laughs> like those two things combined. I've never forgotten that sentence. And I'm not someone who ever remembers an opening sentence, except you know, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, that thing. But this I've never forgotten. So what has it been, like 17 years since I read it? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good opening line. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What is your favorite book cover? This one actually was also really easy for me. And I'm going to hint at it. And then I'm going to link in the notes to how you can find out why this cover was so meaningful. So if anyone out there actually reads the speech that I will post, the link to it, uh, please let me know what you think. Because... It's The Giver by Lois Lowry. And again, when I was a youth librarian, you know, kids were coming in all like crazy. They always had to read The Giver for school assignment and stuff. And I remember, you know, handing the book to them a million times and think to myself, you know, they say a cover, you you judge a book by its cover. And I thought, why is that cover just this old man? And it's just kind of a weird choice. Like it's not really something that would draw a child's eye. I mean, it's a beautiful cover in terms of the photography, but I thought it's not going to grab a kid's eye. Right. Well, when she won the Newberry or yeah, the Newberry award, uh, through the American library association for 
literature that year, for youth literature that year, she gave the acceptance speech. And I read the speech. And by the end of that speech, so don't just hunt and peck for the part of why she picked that cover, but read the whole thing. Because by the time I got to the end of that article or that speech, I was in tears. And I have never forgotten the cover ever since. It's my favorite cover because the meaningfulness of its story and how she picked that cover is just so beautiful. So I'm going to challenge everybody and hopefully entice you to, to read the speech and to know why that's my favorite cover. Oh, I'm going to read it. Actually, it's funny that you say, because I have my to be read pile is right beside me and that book is in it. So I just oh grabbed gosh. it. I know, yeah. right? I, know. I think it was Keegan's book. And so I was like, I think I want to. So I grabbed it maybe a year ago and haven't read it yet. So I yeah, have the cover I, I right here. I think I've read it. I think I've read it three times. And it's, it's a really, I mean, it's an incredible book. It's a great, great classic. But wait till you read, because you're looking at the cover, right? It's not yeah. something that would catch a, catch a kid's eye, right? No, no. Yeah. It's very subtle. Yeah. So, okay. Hmm. So I okay. will, yeah. I will leave it at that. And hopefully if anyone reads the article, you know, comment, that would be really great. Yep. I'll get back to you as well. Okay. Final question. Which author living or dead would you like to meet in person and why? Okay. So this one, I was really struggling with this one because, and I told Tara because, you know, I've had the immense privilege and honor to interview so many amazing authors over the last few years with this podcast that when it came time to say, well, who would you want to meet, you know, in person, I, I really was stuck. And so I said to Tara, gosh, I don't know. And then you reminded me. <laughs> We just read a book, an amazing book by Ian Kennedy on account of darkness, and we just interviewed him. So please listen to that interview. It was really great. And in the book, he was talking about boxing, and there was this white boxer who was going to box against, um, was it? Oh, I can't remember the name. Oh, my gosh. Hold on. Uh, uh, The famous boxer from Detroit, Joe Lewis. Yeah. And so... Jack, there's a quote from him in the book, and I'm going to read the quote because it just blew me away. So it said here, at the height of the Jim Crow era, a black man stood alone atop the world of boxing, a position the white sporting world could not allow. Writing in the New York Herald on December 27, 1908, author Jack London wrote, personally, I was with Burns all the way. He is a white man, and so am I. Naturally, I wanted to see the white man win. He played and fought a white man in a white man's country before a white man's crowd, unquote. He then called for a, quote, great white hope to rescue the white man from a black champion. And after Tara, after Tara and I read the book, I had talked to her about that, how shocked I was that Jack London, who is revered, especially I lived in California for 30 years, and, you know, there's Jack London Square and Jack London State Park, and I thought wow, okay. That really shocked me because when it's such a great classic author, you know, you don't expect to read things like that. So I would like to meet him in person at the time that he wrote that. Not now, because obviously now it's a different time. He would probably say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that, blah, 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 whatever. But I would really kind of like to chat with him at that time 
because not everybody felt that way in 1907. <laughs> so I feel like I would just love to hear hear more about him and his opinion about that. Because I, I don't know, I was shocked. How about you? Yeah. Weren't you shocked? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember. I was just, I don't know, you just, uh, you put sometimes literary figures up on a pedestal. Yep. And then when they come crashing down, it's a uh, jarring. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it just, it, it messes you up. And I remember when we discussed that, it was like, wait a minute, that, what? <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's just so blatant, too. It was just so blatant, right? Yeah. And then also in the fact that the term Great White Hope, I don't think we use it as much anymore, but it was yeah. around when I was a kid. Like, yep. mm -hmm. it was just tossed around. And to know, to really think about uh, the foundation of that term. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that it was a true, yeah, that that phrase, which I agree, I kind of grew up hearing that phrase as well. And to know that that's associated with, Jack London. It was just a shock. Like, I had no idea. I mean, just had no idea. So, yeah. So that's why I would like to chat with him and just see who he really was and whether that really meant anything. You know, did did he really mean what he said? So that would be, I would like that. And then mm -hmm. I wonder too, do do the does the average person in California know that? Because yeah. like I lived there for 30 years. I'd never heard that. So maybe that's out there and people are aware that he had those feelings uh about race and sports and etc and i'm thinking yikes i'm gonna have to ask all my california friends especially the ones who you know really like jack london did you know that about him so anyway so yeah. that is my answer to that question so i want to thank tara for helping me with that answer because otherwise i was kind of struggling to think who in the world would i want to meet in person yeah so thank you for that oh you're welcome my pleasure and thank you for answering our questions for us. It was fun. I mean, it does give you, for all of you out there who we've reached out and said, hey, would you like to you know, do this with us? It is kind of a fun time to sit down and really think about what your answers might be. Yeah. And so we hope that um, if we haven't reached out and, and invited you to join us uh, in the future to do this at some point, let us know. And we would like to add you to our list. Yep. We, you, we can never have too many. I agree. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on our bookish journey. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing Canada Reads American Style wherever you listen. You can connect with the podcast and Rebecca on Instagram at Canada Reads American Style and with Tara at On a Branch Reads. Until next time, keep reading.